You're listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Our Father in Heaven, recorded on Sunday, April 3rd, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. Let's go ahead and jump into the message today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can start turning there. We're continuing this series called Growing God's Healthy Church. And this series is about our desire as a church, our mission to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's our mission statement. That's what we hope to accomplish. And so if we're going to do that, we, we need a plan. There are some things that we need to do, some things we need to be about as a church. And so this sermon series, uh, we're, we're kind of walking through what that looks like to grow God's healthy church. And we're in the middle of a short uh, three-part series on prayer. And throughout this three-part series, we're looking at the, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, which is found in, in Matthew chapter 6, where we'll be today. Because we know that if we're going to do and accomplish what God wants us to as a church, we must pray. And as Pastor Mike said a couple weeks ago before Easter, we need to be people who are praying for, for God's will, for God's kingdom to come. But that's not all that God tells us to pray for. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, there are actually six different things that God tells us to be praying for. And so today, we're going to look at one of those. So Jesus in Matthew 6 is teaching his disciples how to pray. And before he tells them how and what to pray for, he tells them how not to pray. And he says to them, he says, you know, there there are some people, he refers to them as hypocrites. There are some people who they like to pray to get attention. And when they pray, they always cause a scene. They, They make sure that everybody notices that they're praying. And he says they've already received their reward, the attention that they get from man is all they'll get from those prayers. So Jesus says, don't be like them when you pray. He says, but when you pray, pray in a way that your attention is on the Lord, not on other people. And then he says, don't, don't pray like other people who, who their prayers are just full of empty phrases, meaningless repetitions, things they've been taught to say, things that really has nothing to do with their heart, but they're just reciting what they have learned as prayers. Jesus says, don't pray like that either. So how are we to pray? So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read a very short verse for you, and then we're going to think about what it says together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There are two parts to this verse that I want to deal with separately today. The first is, who we are praying to, and the second is what it is that we are to pray for. And we'll look at at each of those and give them each their time, but we'll start, of course, where Jesus starts with who we are praying to. So if you look at at the beginning of verse 9, it says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Jesus makes very clear who it is we are to pray to, and there are actually two things about Uh, our Father in heaven, about that phrase, about that description that we're going to think about today. One is our relationship to God, our Father, and two is God's relationship to the universe that we live in. He's in heaven, and what does that mean? So let's start there, in heaven. What does it mean that God is in heaven? You see, if you're going to have a prayer life that's worth half a nickel, 
you need to be praying to the right person. Lots of people pray. Lots of people pray to lots of different things. But if I need something from someone, if I need something from you, I need to stop and consider whether or not you have the ability to give me what I need. Do you have enough money? Do you have enough time? Do you have enough energy? Do you have the power? Can you give what I'm asking for? If I need something from you and I don't believe that you can give me what I need, then I probably won't ask. Or if I do ask, I'll, I'll ask sort of half-heartedly knowing that the answer is going to be no already. Well, sadly, too many Christians pray that way or don't pray at all because they fail to understand who they are praying to and what he is capable of. In heaven, Jesus says. Jesus wants us to be sure that when we pray to our Father, we are praying to someone who can do exceedingly beyond anything that we could even think of asking for. And we need to have that confidence, because if you're wasting your time praying to some other god, some false god, like Muhammad, or if you're praying to, to dead people, like, like some are in the practice of doing, or some even pray to physical objects, idols that have been created by human hands. If you're praying to the wrong thing, it will do you absolutely no good. It's like picking me to be on your basketball team. It looks like a good idea. Hey, he's tall. He can probably play basketball. Lots of kids made that mistake growing up. I'm no good. I can't shoot. I, I won't do any good on your team. And so if you pray to the wrong God, if you pray to a God that doesn't exist, then it will do you absolutely no good. So Jesus says, pray to the God. Pray to the one that is in heaven. And so here's the first thing that I want you to remember. If you have your message application points out, you can fill in these blanks. Remember that when you pray, you are talking to the sovereign ruler of the universe. When you pray, you are talking to the sovereign ruler of the universe. Jesus says, in heaven. That is a reminder to us that we are talking to the sovereign God who has all authority over the world that we live in. He has complete power and complete rule over his creation. He exists outside of this universe. That does not mean he's not present within it, but ultimately he is transcendent. He is beyond this universe. He created this universe, therefore he exists outside of it, and he has all power and complete rule over his creation. He can do anything that he pleases. Nothing you can think of is too hard for him. Nothing. Think about who God is. Think about what God has done. Jeremiah 10, verse 12 says this, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. How much power do you have to have to make the earth? Think about that. Who's the most powerful human being you can think of? What could they do to this earth? 
How much more power does God have who made this earth? How much power does it take to make this? It's, it's unfathomable to us. How much wisdom does God have that He established this world, it says in Jeremiah 10, 12. By His wisdom, He established this world. How smart do you have to be to create this universe? Years and years of the smartest people that have ever lived compiling all of their understanding and wisdom about this universe hasn't even scratched the surface. How smart is he? How intelligent do you have to be to create a a solar system, to create galaxies? How smart is this God that we are talking to? How powerful is He that He creates these things with His words, that He speaks and the sun comes into existence, that He speaks and the earth is formed, that He speaks and man is created. How much power is this? How much wisdom does He have beyond our ability to understand? He has enough, let's say. There's enough wisdom there to solve our problems. There's enough power there to make right anything that is wrong in our world. It's safe to say that He has enough. And so when you pray, you, you pray to this God. Isaiah 40.12 describes God this way, Who else has held the oceans in His hand? Who has measured off the heavens with His fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? The answer to this rhetorical question is nobody else. Nobody else could do that. If you are going to other people with your problems, asking them to fix them, instead of going to this God, don't you think you're going to the wrong person? Now, perhaps this is metaphorical, There's no reason to think that God as a spirit being has hands as we imagine them. But the point is, He is that big. He is that strong. He is that powerful that He could hold the oceans in His hand. Have you ever been to the ocean? Have you ever stood on the beach and looked out into what seems to be infinite sea? God just scoops that up in his hands. He measures the universe with his fingers. Years ago, Louis Giglio uh, did this, this talk where he, he presented all of these images, pictures taken from space, just magnificent things, things that just make your, make your head explode, things that you can't even get your mind around. And he, and he spoke of God measuring the universe with his hands. John Piper said, God made man small in the universe big to say something about himself. Every time you look up into the sky, every time you think about the vastness of this universe, imagine how great your God must be. But it's not enough to know that God can do what you're asking Him to do. It's not enough to know that He has the power. 
He has the authority. He has the wisdom to solve your problems or, or to do whatever it is that you are asking Him to do. You also need to know whether or not He cares to do it for you. Bill Gates has enough money to buy us all new cars. What he lacks is the desire to do so. Jesus reminds us that God's concern for us with this simple phrase, our Father in heaven. When you pray, you're praying to the all-powerful ruler of the universe who also happens to be your Father. At least if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here today and you're just listening in, I I, want to speak to that a little bit later. But for those of us who who are sure of our salvation, we're born-again believers, this is our dad. He's our father. He is the ruler of the universe, and he's your father. So here's the next thing to remember when you pray on your map. You see this. When you pray, you are talking to your father who loves you. What a great truth that is to know. Years ago, Saturday Night Live did a skit with Chris Farley. I, I, I don't know that I've ever actually seen the actual video, but apparently when Rudy Giuliani uh, was inaugurated as the mayor of New York, his son at the time looked like a small Chris Farley. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and this little boy apparently was... Uh, very involved in the inauguration speech. And so Saturday Night Live does this skit where Chris Farley's dad is being inaugurated as the mayor of New York. And Chris Farley's climbing all over him. And he's saying, my dad's the mayor. My dad's the mayor. And he's just, just full of youthful excitement. Our God, our Father, is the ruler of the universe. Your dad is not just the mayor of New York City. He is sovereign ruler of the whole world. When you pray, you're talking to your father who loves you. As your father, he cares about you. As your father, he cares about everything going on in your life. He cares about the things that you know nobody else cares about. He cares about things you're not even caring about. He cares about things you're not even thinking about. He is planning your steps. He is watching over your life as a father who loves you. He hears every prayer you pray. He answers every prayer you pray. Listen to Luke 11, verses 11 to 13. It says, What father among you, just as Jesus speaking, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Which one of you would do that? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he's making a point about God's fatherhood, and he's comparing it to ours. He says, now, these are strange requests. Our kids don't ask. Well, they might ask for a fish. They might ask for like a beta fish or, you know, an aquarium fish or a goldfish or something. Which one of you, if if your child asks you for a fish, is going to give him a serpent, something worse? 
Which one of you, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Which one of you, if, if your child asks you for something they desire, gives them something they don't desire, or something that is worse for them than what they asked for? Well, none of you, right? So how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his children? See, God answers every prayer we pray, not always by giving us what we ask for, just like any good father. You don't give your kids everything they ask for. If they want cotton candy at 10.30 at night, you don't give them cotton candy. You give them a spanking. No. <laughs> but no good father gives their kids everything they ask for, but he always gives them what's best. Well, at least attempts to. But we have a heavenly Father who doesn't just attempt goodness, He is goodness, and He always gives His children what is best for them. And just like we often know better than our children here on earth, so your heavenly Father knows better what is good for you. You know, I mentioned earlier Reagan's turning eight today. There's been a lot of prayers said for that girl. Do you think I haven't prayed for her healing? Do you think I haven't asked my Father in heaven, God, make her well? Take away those obstacles, take away the disabilities, take away the things that break our heart. And has God not answered by giving us something better? God hears that prayer. He cares about us. And He says, I know that's what you're asking for. I know that's what you want, but I have something better for you. I have a ministry that needs to be done. There are hearts that are hardened towards the gospel that only an eight-year-old girl with a brain injury can soften. There are people who have turned against me who need to see my kindness through that little girl. God always answers prayers that way. Sometimes He gives us the thing we ask for because it's best. Sometimes He says, I hear you. I got something better. I got something way better than you're even thinking of right now. That's the kind of Father we have. We have a God who always gives His children what is best for them. He, he hears, He cares, He knows everything that concerns you. He's aware of it. He's more concerned with it than you are. But sometimes He has an even better plan than we could ever dream up. He is our Father. When you pray, you are talking to your Father who loves you. Do you, do you remember that when you go to God in prayer? Do you do you approach God as if you are praying to your Father who loves you? This, this passage has just got me so pumped about praying lately. Because I, I know the Word of God is true and it doesn't matter how, how my emotions are going that day. I've just been disciplining myself to go before God and just be confident that He loves me. And just be confident that He cares about what I'm about to say and that he's already has this, He already has the solution. But this whole idea of God being our Heavenly Father gets a little tricky 
because of the reality of earthly fathers. Earthly fathers, for many of us, present obstacles, well, for all of us, to some degree, present an obstacle to how we view God as our heavenly father. Because earthly fathers aren't perfect like he is. This is true in my relationship with my children. You know, I, I do my best to, to be a good dad. I, I, I want to serve them well, but I fail them. I fail them many times. I, I often fail to care enough about what they care about. I have a daughter in fourth grade. It's impossible to care about the stuff that she cares about. And so I often fail to care as much as they care about what's going on in their lives. I lack patience in dealing with them. I don't always discipline them in a loving way. Sometimes I even set a bad example for them through my own behavior. I do a lot of things that they're going to have to set aside when they think about their Heavenly Father. Because their Heavenly Father isn't like that. He doesn't do those things. He's, he's the perfect Father. But hopefully I've done some things, and, and by God's grace, I'm sure that I have, that will help them see what a loving Father God must be. That's what I want. I want, I want to be the kind of dad that, that helps them understand how God loves them. But, but I know I, I can't really do that as good as I want to. And so I always remind my girls, we, we have two girls, uh, they're nine and now eight as of today. I always remind them, you know, I love you as much as I can, but you always have a father who loves you more and loves you better. He's, he's the best dad in the world and he'll always be there for you. He'll always be your dad. And my daughter Reese, the nine-year-old, she, she picked up on this and she started saying to me at one point, she'd say, Daddy, you're my second favorite dad. <laughs> I love that. And I love to look at her and say, Reese, you're my second favorite daughter. <laughs> she doesn't love that. <laughs> but you know, earthly fathers can be an option. This was true of, of my relationship with my dad. You know, just like any earthly man, there were some things that he did as a father that I said, I gotta, I gotta put those aside. That's not how my heavenly father is. But he did a lot of things that helped me. He's done a lot of things throughout my life that, that helped me imagine how much my Father in Heaven must love me. I can remember being a little kid. I was a hyperactive little kid, just uh, bouncing off the walls. You, you, know, you wanted to slap me kind of kid. And when, when it was time to go to bed, my brain wasn't ready to go to bed. I had this hyperactive mind that would just lay awake in bed for hours. Literally for hours I would lay there. And I can remember my dad would come in from time to time. He'd sit on the bed with me. He'd turn on some relaxing music. And he'd just rub my forehead. And I think, man, that's how my Heavenly Father cares for me. He knows when I'm anxious. And he knows how to help me calm down. He loves me that much. I can remember my dad growing up. As my brother and I got in, into sports, we, we played hockey. I remember my dad who worked a lot. And he, and he worked a very intense job in law enforcement. I can remember my dad hurrying home. I remember him rearranging things to always make sure he was at our games. Half the time he'd come to our practices. He was the only parent in the stand watching us practice. It was embarrassing. But I know he was saying, I, I love you boys. I'm your dad. I'm here for you. I can remember 
I can remember my dad was offered promotions at work that would have forced us to move, and I remember him turning those down because he didn't want to have to uproot his, his kids and his family to a different town. My dad did a lot of things. He still does to this day that helps me imagine what a heavenly father must be like. You know, but some of you, some of you, maybe you can't think of anything positive your dad did. Maybe there's no good examples to point to that you can remember, and you might be right. You might have a lousy dad, or you might have a dad who was absent, who you, who you never knew. But the reality is, and the good news here for you today, is that regardless of your earthly father, regardless of how imperfect he may have been, and regardless of whether or not he was a good example of your heavenly father, you have a perfect father. You have a perfect Father who loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. You have a Father who's always present in your life. You know, some of you, maybe your dads are gone. Maybe you had a great dad, and, but he's just not here anymore, and you miss him, and, and you would give anything to talk to him again. Your Father in heaven is still here, and you can talk to him anytime you want and He cares about everything you say and everything you think and everything that you feel. And He loves you through all of that. And He loves you so much that you can be perfectly assured that He will always do what is best for you. Even when it's not the thing you asked for. Even when it's not the thing that you wanted. Even when it looks a lot different than you hoped it would. He will always do what is best for you. He never has to make an exception to that rule. He has such sovereign rule over his creation that he doesn't ever have to compromise his love for you or his care for you to get something else done. Sometimes I've got to set, set aside my kids to do something else that's important in our family. God never does that. He never makes you suffer because he's working on something else. He always is doing what is best for you, even when it doesn't seem so. That's your Father in heaven. So when you pray, remember you are talking to your Father who loves you. What a beautiful truth that is. Jesus said, our Father in heaven. That reminds us that God is both capable and caring. He can do everything that needs done, and He wants to and will do everything that is for your good. Our Father in heaven. So that's who we pray to. That's who we talk to anytime we want. We have the privilege of, of having Him as an audience to our prayers at any given moment. There is nothing you need to do to get His attention. It is already on you. He is ready and waiting to hear your prayers at any given moment. Our Father in heaven, the God who loves me and the God who is in control, I'm speaking to you. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. But what does He tell us to pray for? And that's the second part of this verse today. What does Jesus tell us to pray for? My prayers so often are limited to just a couple of things. Praying for other people, 
you know, praying for healings, praying for people who are going through something or do, needing to do something. I pray for other people. Uh, I, I pray for forgiveness when, when, when sin is brought to light in my mind. And, and, and that's kind of where I get stuck a lot of times. Not all the time, but a lot of times. But Jesus tells us there's a lot to pray about. In the Lord's Prayer, like I said earlier, there are six different things Jesus tells us to pray for. And you can look at all of them at any time you want, but we're going to look closely just at this one. And I hope that this will expand your prayer life into new territory or, or perhaps confirm the prayers that you have already been offering to God. What is it that we pray for? Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This sounds like a statement. It sounds like a statement, and you can use this as a statement. You can, this, this is a great way to worship God, to praise His name, to proclaim that His name is hallowed, but that is not a statement in, in Matthew chapter 6. It's actually a request. The problem is, is that the Greek language is, is difficult to translate, and so it got translated as hallowed be your name, and people don't like to mess with things like the Lord's Prayer, so most translations just follow suit and say hallowed be your name. But the Net Bible, I think, actually translates this best, and so let me read that to you now. It says, so pray this way, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Jesus tells you and I, to pray, God, may your name be honored. What, what does that mean? You could say it this way. You could say, let your name be hallowed. Perhaps that's a better way of translating this verse. Let your name be hallowed. May your name be honored. How, however you translate it, the prayer request is the same. We are asking that God's name be revered, that it be treated as holy, that it be respected, that it's honored among whom? Among men, among us, among mankind, that people would honor God's name. Why do we want people to honor God's name? Because this, this goes far beyond, when you start to think about it, this goes so far beyond just using the Lord's name with reverence or avoiding using it with irreverence. Because a person's name is more than just a word. When you hear a person's name, attached to it is their reputation. Attached to it is their works and their deeds. Attached to their name is their character. When you think of someone's name, you think of them as a person. You think of who they are and what they're like and what they have done and what they're known for. And God is saying, pray that my reputation, my good deeds, my good character and good nature would be praised among men. That's, that's what's in a person's name. If I, say, if I were to say to you, think of Osama bin Laden. You picture him. You think of what he has done, to, uh, the destruction he has brought into the world. You think of his evil deeds, or however you view him. You think of, of not just the name. You're not picturing letters or words on a paper, are you? You're thinking of a person and all that is entailed in who that person is. If I say Hitler, the same thing. You, you, you'll picture him. 
and you picture the destruction that he brought to this world. If I say Mother Teresa, you may picture her, you may not know what she looks like, but you, you think of someone who did a lot of good in the world and her good reputation and her good works and her good nature and her good character. If I say Billy Graham, you, you think of somebody who's respected in our culture, who's done much good. That's because their name is who they are. Their name carries with it all of those things. And so when we say, let your name be honored, we're saying, we want the world to see you and praise you. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying, to be, we're praying for God to be known for his goodness. We're praying for his, his good deeds and his good and loving nature and his good character to be seen and to be praised by all mankind we want everyone to honor your name we want your name to be hallowed in every corner of this earth hallowed be your name god let them see let them know and so this is the first perhaps the most important thing that jesus tells us to pray for let the world see how great god is that's why we exist. To point to God and His goodness and this, this great Creator, this Father in, in heaven that we have. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for other people to know Him, to enjoy Him, to praise Him, to honor His name? Do you pray for that? We should. Jesus tells us to pray for that. It's good to pray for that. That's why we exist on this earth, to spread his fame. And the really cool thing about this is that this is a prayer we can be a part of the answer to. This is why we do evangelism. This is why we do outreach. This is why we invite people to church. This is why we pray for and support our missionaries who are going to places in the world where God's name is not hallowed, God's name is not honored. They don't even know the goodness of the gospel. We have the opportunity to be part of the answer to this prayer. Now we need the Holy Spirit. We can't make people enjoy God. But we can be part of the answer to this prayer by spreading the good news of the gospel. And so the last thing on your map there is this. So when you pray, pray for more people to know, love, and worship God. Pray for more people to know, love, and worship God. We need, we need to pray this because a lot of people don't see God properly. A lot of people don't relate to God properly. A lot of people aren't enjoying Him the way that you and I are. A lot of people don't see Him as their, as their Father, as a good Father. People don't, people don't see God correctly, and so that's why we pray. We pray, God, let them see You. Let them enjoy You. Let them worship You. Let them honor You. A few years ago, our family went to Florida, and I took my stepson Chase, he was probably 12, 13 at the time, to Universal Studios. Universal Studios is a really cool place. And if I remember correctly, there's actually two parks. One of them, one of them was newer and, and nicer, of course, as newer. But in this, in this park in, at Universal Studios, 
I was just blown away by how much attention was given to the little details of this park. When you walk around Universal Studios, you know that somebody designed this park so that you would enjoy every minute of being there. And they, they did everything that, that, that I could think of, everything certainly that they could think of, to make this an enjoyable experience. And so you, you walk around Universal Studios and you think, somebody wanted me to enjoy being here. Of course, they wanted me to enjoy being there because it costs a lot of money to be there. But there was intentional, thoughtful design put into that, to that park, to that experience. And they did, they did little things, like when you wait in line, there's fans blowing on you. There's shade cover over you. There's video monitors playing videos that, that keep you entertained and, and build the anticipation of, of what you're about to do. They do all these little things. There's characters dressed up everywhere. The streets, you know, there's these different worlds. There's like, I don't know, Harry Potter world, Dr. Seuss land. Uh, there's like the comic book world. And whichever world you're in, everything around you is touched by that. The streets, the, the buildings, everything is, is fitted to be part of that world so that you will have maximum enjoyment as you experience the park they have built for you. Well, can I say that they just stole this idea from God? Ultimately, what they have done, has, they have copied the Creator because this is exactly how God has designed the universe. He designed this entire world so that you and I, when we are in it, would enjoy what He has created and so that we would recognize Him as the Creator and think, wow, He's a really smart, a really good, a really amazing God. But the problem is sin has ruined our experience in this world. The reason people don't walk around happy in this world the way I walked around happy at Universal Studios is because sin has damaged our experience. Sin has completely marred the experience that God created us and created this world to create. This world should be pointing us to, wow, there is a great God. He's amazing. He must love me. He, he did all of this so that I could enjoy His creation, enjoy His character and His goodness. But sin has, has almost wiped that out. And that's why we need Jesus to come, cause us to be born again as a new creation, to put us back into that right relationship with God. But the effects of sin are felt by everybody. And we don't walk around saying, oh God, He's amazing, like we should because of sin. People have a very different experience than that in life, don't they? In fact, most people's experience like that is a lot like, you know, my experience when I was in Florida. We not only went to Universal Studios, but we went to a couple of the Disney parks. When I was at the Disney parks, and if you ever go to the Disney parks with kids, you'll understand what I'm talking about. When I was at the Disney parks, I thought, there's a, there's a creator here. This could not have just happened. Somebody designed this, but that someone must hate me. <laughs> that someone must have wanted me to be miserable. 
There's no shade here. This whole place is just one big line. Everybody's pushing you. I can't afford to drink from the water fountains here. I'm afraid I'm never going to leave. It's just one big miserable experience. Unfortunately, too many people are walking around this world thinking, I, I can see that somebody planned this. But it doesn't seem like a very good plan to me. That someone must hate me, they think. That someone must have wanted me to be miserable here. That's what sin has done to our world. Sin has created this, this, has taken God's creation, which is beautiful, and which points us to a good and awesome God, and turned it into Walmart the day before a holiday, where it's, it's every man for himself, no one has a plan, a few people get what they wanted to when they went in there. Others have disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. There's just this random experience that has no good design to it. And that is where we come in, Christians. We know God better than that, don't we? We know that there is a good God. We know that He did create this world to reflect his glory and his goodness and to show us what he is like and we understand that sin has damaged and we know how to fix it we know that the gospel of jesus is the solution we know that the gospel puts people back into the right relationship with god where now they know they are loved now they know they have a father who cares about them they know that this isn't just random chaos, that there's a God who's in control. A God who makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him. And we want other people to see that, don't we? Have you ever had that desire? Have you ever thought, man, I know God is good. Why doesn't so-and-so know how God is so good? Why do they not experience Him the way? That's what Jesus is saying to pray for. God, reveal yourself. Reveal yourself to them. Show them what you're like. Show them your goodness. Show them, let them honor your name by understanding your good nature, your good character, your good deeds. Namely, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them see that Jesus Christ has come into this world that is marred by sin, and He has made things right between us and God so that ultimately we can go and be with Him forever and enjoy Him forever in eternity. God, let them see that. That's what we're told to pray for. I don't know how many times I'm here worshiping at church, and I think, I think of somebody that I wish was there. I don't know how many times God is just caring for me throughout my day, throughout my life, and, and I just think, I can think of other people who need this right now. When you feel that way, you stop and pray. And you pray, God, make yourself known to them. Reveal yourself. Roll back the darkness, Lord, and let them see your glorious light. Hallowed be your name. May you be honored as you should be. Cause them to see. Pray for this, Christians. 
Pray that God would make Himself known through you and through many others. Pray that God would make Himself known through our missionaries in India. Pray that God would make Himself known through our missionaries in Papua New Guinea, where the people live without the light of the gospel. Pray that God would make Himself known through the missionary family that we support in Guatemala. Pray that God would make Himself known through all of, all of the missionaries serving. And pray that God would make Himself known through you. Pray that your life would help other people see how good God is. Pray that your life would be a reflection of His true beauty, His true glory, the true light that is our Father in heaven. Will you pray for that? Will you pray for that often, as Jesus tells us to? Will you pray, our Father in heaven, I know who I'm praying for, and here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, God, I pray that more people would know, love, and worship you. I pray that your name be honored, that it be hallowed, that it be worshipped, that it be praised, that it be respected, that it be revered. I pray that your name be proclaimed in all the earth. Earlier I said, when I was speaking of God being our Father, I said, you know, for Christians that's true. For others, maybe not. Maybe there's some people here today who God is not your Father. In fact, Jesus Jesus told the Pharisees at one point, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you love to do his will. And the, the, the strange reality is, as bizarre as this may seem to you, and, and maybe even hard to believe, is that you really only have one of two fathers. Either God, ruler of the universe, creator who is in heaven, is your father, or the devil is your father. And you are doing the will of one of those two fathers. But the good news is, is that Jesus says God loves to make those whose father is the devil his children. God loves to adopt new children all the time. In fact, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, or it said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Maybe today you need to make that switch. You need to make God your Father. I want to share with you the good news of the Gospel. This is why God is great. Let me tell you right now why God is great. Because even though you and I are sinners, and even though you and I deserve His punishment, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place so that you don't have to die, so that you don't have to receive the punishment that you earn, but that you can be born again, adopted into a new family, the family of God, and so that every day from here on out and on into eternity, you can wake up and you can have the greatest father there ever was. And you can pray to Him anytime you want, and you can talk to Him, and you can begin to be an answer to your own prayers and going out and letting other people know what a great God He is. And so, if that's you today, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to surrender your life, turn your life over to Him today, and to begin living as children of God. 
to begin living according to His will and His purpose. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.